Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In our fourth year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. I know it's pretty amazing that I have uh, two interviews in one month. You don't know how difficult that is, that is to even happen, but, you know, it's it's always a blessing, and in this case, it's a double blessing. We got uh, Bruce uh, Levine on the show today. Thank you very much for joining us, Bruce. He is a nominee for the Pushcard Prize in uh, 2019, uh, and also he's been published in a number of publications, uh, my own uh, aerial chart for full disclosure here, Spill Words, and at Literary Yard. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this with you for a while now, so I know we had some schedule issues, and I think at one point you were moving from one state to another, so that's that's never the most ideal spot. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that, we we talked about it. It's got to be. Um, well, I'm in, now I'm in Maine for two years, so it's got to be two years ago we started this process. Yeah, it happens. Uh, I had a guy in, in Belgium, but it took a while because he was he was doing some traveling for for personal reasons and then for work reasons. So he was in like three different countries. So we finally settled down again before we could do the interview. Oh uh, well, at least he finally got it, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> Well, I definitely uh, I've enjoyed you on the um, the journal uh, literary uh, uh, aerial chart. Uh, Bruce has been Bruce has been really uh, uh, big on on poems of of a, of a nature sort, and you know I've always mentioned it to him privately, and I don't mention I don't mind mentioning this publicly that you know I always veer away from a lot of nature poetry because first of all there's just so much of it out there, and then second of all. Only certain people really have a grasp on it to be able to do it well. Otherwise, you get folks that, you know, they, hey, I just saw a red bird in the yard. Let me write a poem about that. And and, it, and it's really about a red bird in the yard. So it's just not really helpful. So I'm I'm happy that he's able to do that, especially in a seasonal basis, because we're not a thematic magazine. But nevertheless, it, it's nice to have some of that. And we got a couple of ones from, from autumn season this month, and I'm very happy to have that. Well, uh, one of the things that I do, thank you, well, let me go back half a step and say thank you for honoring me by putting so much of my poetry on Ariel Chart. Um, it's, a, it's a great journal. You, you really do an amazing job, and I thank you as an editor um, and for having the, the journal itself. Um, one of the things that I like to do is observational poetry, and sometimes I don't send you some of the things because... I, I try to gear what I submit to the journal that it would fit best in. Um, so I, if I see something in my life or sense something, um, as I say, an observational kind of poem uh, that I think is going to fit on Ariel chart, I try to send it to you. I'm, I love fall, and I'm... I'm uh, 
I hate I hate anything hot, so I, fall is my favorite season. And if I had my way, I'd have fall year round. Um, <laughs> so I, I really would. I, aside aside from all the, the the obvious stuff of the beautiful colors and and the, the, the I love the feel of the air. It's the crispness. It's just it gives a, a totally different sense of being almost. Yeah, it's um, my favorite season. So I can't yeah, well, uh, I know that you've mentioned that, and uh, thank you. You were actually nominated uh, one of my fall poems for the Pushcart Prize, and thank you for doing nominating me. Um, that was a real honor, and um, something that I'm pr proud to have on my bio. Um, but when I say I, I write observational poets, one of a, of a few things that I've discovered about myself I tend to write in multiple in about three categories. One of them is, is and it's one of my favorite, is observational. Of course, uh, you and I have talked about and uh, a book of love poems that I have recently come out. Um, I like to write love poems because I'm in love, um, and that that helps things. Um, <laughs> so this was for, these well these were for my wife and to and about her. And um, I just collected them, and so it makes it makes life um, nice when you can write poetry about the person you love. Um, she's a, a terrific lady, and uh, proud to have her as part of my life. Um, so I guess it's seasonal things go and go kind of hand in hand almost. Well, um, yeah, sometimes I'll write what I call philosophical poems, but I tend to gravitate to observational and seasonal become pretty apparent in the fact that it's there. <laughs> you can't you can't admit um, I'm sorry you can't miss the seasons. Yeah, you, you experience them all every day. So whether it be hot, cold, or in between, that's the experience. Well, I definitely uh, appreciate them because uh, I appreciate some of the things you're talking about already on a, you know, on a personal and a, and a professional basis. I wrote a, a few of myself, but not very many uh, as as you have done. Uh, but I was happy to do so because I wanted to, you know, make my mark on that as well. And it's difficult to get writing that on things that you might really appreciate from people because. You just don't you don't really know where they're coming from on it, and it was just great to have you uh, on board to be able to do that. Mainly because I, I I can see where you're coming from, and you definitely have a not only a talent for writing, but also a, a, a talent for the observational. And that to me, that's really necessary. And I think that's the biggest issue with with uh, with nature writing itself is that people are talented as writers, but they're not talented as observers. So they wind up just simply you know throwing in nature words or nature scenes and it don't really come out to anything that's literary it's just simply a bunch of words on a paper well i think part of it is um i do a lot of different things in my life um i'm a theater person shall we we say i've been a, in the theater and, and classical music all of my life as well um and being a theater person both as a musical director which is what I've largely done but also as a stage director we're used to looking in terms of pictures um, and I, I think that that's what you're sensing in my poetry that I try I 
tend to write and create pictures, paint pictures, uh, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, they're word pictures. So I'm hoping that when I write a seasonal poem, whether it be fall, which let's take um, that because we're there now, um, I, it's just not saying, oh, well, the colors of the trees are gorgeous. Well, yeah, that, who cares? We all see it. We all know it. But if you can paint a picture of how how the trees um, paint this this nature fest, so to speak, uh, of crimson, golds, oranges, the varying hues uh, of the colors, then I think you then I think you can express something. But also, it's important to to get across how that makes a human feel. Um, even or even an animal. I, I mean, I, I, my dog is different. I think in different seasons, and I think uh, we're all affected by the seasons, visually and physically. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, definitely, you have a more of a cin cinematic type of viewpoint. You know, and I meet some writers that that are like that as well. That last uh, actually person that we interviewed. Uh, Elahoff, he had he had a similar approach as well. I'm I'm not really, uh, I'm not really keen to that myself as a writer. I, it's not what I do. I I usually work more on emotion, but it's still of course of course it's still very valid. I've read uh, um, uh, quite a few of your pieces and uh, on on Ariel Chart, and uh, I've enjoyed them very much. So thank you for posting your pieces as well. Because you bring a, an insight into, as you say, emotional. Um, there's a humanistic quality to your writing, and, and uh, it's it's really something that I've enjoyed reading. So thank you for posting them, and thank you for writing them. I agree. I appreciate that. That that's pretty much the, the my uh, particular angle, and I, I always tell writers all the time that you have to find in yourself your place. In, in writing, you you can't sit there and admire somebody and then simply try to copy or ape what they're doing because you're not who they are. You got to find out who you are, and that that'll make you that that unique writer in your own self. Uh, except for, I'm going to add, I don't think that it's just writing. I think it's in every form of the of the arts. You have to be who you are. And, you know, Hemingway used to like to write poetry, when he wrote poetry, um, would like to repeat words. Uh, I find the exact opposite when I, I'm writing a poem and I find myself writing the same word even in, in stanza apart. It's like, oh, so it doesn't work for me where it works wonderfully for Hemingway. Um, not that I'm comparing myself in any way to Hemingway, but there's a stylistic. And I think you have to find who you are. You cannot be anybody else, um, whether I'm a writer uh, or a composer, which I write a lot of classical music. Uh, I don't want to be anybody else, even even another contemporary composer, I find that I have my own vocabulary uh, in the in, in English and in music. And I do find myself using similar um, intervals and things in my writing of music. And I do find myself sometimes, um, I, I've even caught myself saying, oh, 
I wrote that phrase in another poem. Um, and, and sometimes I leave it and sometimes I say, oh, I've already done that. One of the things I think that's important for all of us as or any kind of creators is that we have to be very self-critical. And we have to, you can't just say, I love it because I wrote it. Um, I've torn up a lot more than I've ever kept. <laughs> and I think that goes for everybody. I, I hope so, because the the best writers, that's what they do. They um, they write more drafts uh, than they, they have actual work that's out. And that's really what uh, the mark of a good writer is, because you have to be able to have, uh, like Steinbeck said, a, a built-in BS detector, otherwise you're in trouble. Absolutely, it's good. I'll give you another another Hemingway quote. Um, he said, uh, "Write drunk, edit sober." <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I don't know how he could do that though, because I, I couldn't even have a glass of wine. It, it just throws me off. So I'm one of those writers that, uh, unless I'm sober, it's never going to happen anyway. Well, I'm always sober. I'm not a drinker, so <laughs> it's easy for me. Okay. Uh, if I have a glass of wine once in a while with dinner, it's a, it's a, an event. Yeah, well, um, I like to have a drink now and then, but I always make sure it's after I've done with writing or I don't have anything writing scheduled because otherwise it won't work. Uh, I totally agree. And, um, I, and if I am going to do something, whether it be a, a show rehearsal or a writing session or anything, I make sure that I I haven't been drinking. Um, not as I said, I'm not a drinker, so uh, it's it's easy to do that. All right. Well, tell me a little about the the most recent book that you have out. Uh, okay, I'm I'm really proud of it. Um, it's called Sweet Dreams. And um, they're love poems for M.M., and M.M. is kind of a nickname, or if you want to call it, nick initials, uh, for my wife. Uh, it, we kind of fell into it, and, um, <clears throat> and um, when we were courting, uh, so to speak, through correspondence, um, I said something, and uh, she responded, that that's what she had put on her uh, bedroom door when she was a child. She called herself the Magnificent, and um, I, I fell into M.M. Magnificent Masterpiece. Um, and uh, so that's been my uh, nickname for her. And these are 30 poems. She um, was uh, away visiting her son uh, and she was for a couple of months, and... Um, these were just poems that I wrote to her while she was away and ended up uh, being this collection. Um, there's a wonderful um, pair of literary journals. Uh, one is called Founders Favorites and the other is Halcyon, uh, Halcyon Days. And they're published by a, um, a woman in Monique Berry in Canada. Um, she, for example, publishes seasonally those those journals and um, I had mentioned to her she had somehow came up she would like to get into book publishing and I mentioned this uh, collection and she put it out she actually has a, a new um, publishing house called Housey and House um, and um, she released this it's her first release um, and it's available through Halcyon and House on the website, on that website, um, plug, plug, uh, 
Good, good. And I hope everybody enjoys it. I had also sent her a bunch of photographs, uh, quite a few actually. She had asked for it to be able to select. And she made a group, what I think is a really fabulous collection and uh, choices. Um, one of my favorite, no, I'll go, I'll amend that. Probably my favorite picture I've ever taken of Jane is uh, the one that she ended up choosing for the cover. And then she chose this really funny one for the back cover of uh, Jane kissing in the air. It's very, it's very funny. Um, so I was very, very happy with her choices of photographs as well. And they're just poems of simply love poems. Um, and I hope everybody enjoys them and feels as much love as I feel. Well, that is that is excellent, and thank you for sharing that. Um, what what an amazing way you came about that too, because everybody may not only have a personal journey, or maybe even a, a book journey on how to put these things together, but sometimes we we have to go through a publishing journey too. So sounds like that's what happened to you as well. Uh, yes, um, I think you brought up something that's really important, and if I can kind of talk to the world in the, in a sense of. Um, you uh, as an editor and having a journal offer um, all of us a, a, a venue to um, be seen and heard. Um, I, I've, I've, when I first started, my, my literary writing has taken a rather circuitous route sometimes. Um, but uh, I think the fact when I started writing again back a bunch of years ago, I, I had written early on and then I wrote suddenly I was writing and I wrote novels and short stories and all kinds of things in the mid 90s and then stopped again until 2016 is when I started. And oddly enough, I was writing more fiction than I was poetry and gradually I'm at a point when I haven't written a piece of fiction, I think, in about a year and a half. Um, so that's a whole journey in and of itself. But when I started writing again, it's like, okay, now what do I do with this stuff? And, and I started doing my homework. Uh, the world had truly, truly changed in submitting, etc. cetera, uh, from the early days when we would all submit everything by snail mail and wait for it to, to be returned and um, one way or the other. Um, and my journey in trying to find journals that were uh, to submit to, and I will say that at this point, um, while I've had things published in, in quite a few journals, um, I've weeded that down to only a couple that I submit to on, uh, on um, the Internet that are online journals and a couple that I submit to uh, that are only print journals. And... It's literally about three of each. Um, basically, I submit to Ariel Chart first. If it if it suits if it suits that um, the, that kind of writing that I'm doing, that is going to I think you're going to accept and want on on the uh, journal, then I send it to you first. Uh, you're always uh, the number one on my list. And then there's Spill Words, which I think is a wonderful journal as well. And, and the Drabble, those are basically it that I submit to these days. 
Um, and then I have Monique's two journals, if depending on which one I think it fits better, and Tipton um, Poetry Review. Um, I, I, and also there's a, a, a one, it's kind of a small journal called Westwood Quarterly, and that's it. I, I've, I've rarefied my, my, because either I don't feel like my work fits in, and I actually had an editor write back to me after rejecting um, quite a few pieces in, in a row, and she, she was very honest, and I, and I really appreciated that. Um, she she said, I don't think your your writing is ever going to fit into what we publish. So um, and you can you're welcome to continue, but if you if you you know want to take it as I'm offering, and I did, um, and that's another thing I think we as writers have to be honest with ourselves and know where we fit. So and yeah, it's hard the journey of finding a um, place to be published. It's difficult, but it can be really rewarding when you find your niche, so to speak. Uh, and, and and again, I, I hate to keep sounding redundant, but I thank you for offering me uh, the opportunity you do. You publish a lot of my pieces, um, and if you've noticed, they're dated, so I send them to you um, pretty quickly. And um, I try to I try to to cast that like I would cast a show cast which pieces I send to which journal um, I wouldn't send the same piece to Drabble that I would send to you and vice versa uh, that is, that's excellent and, and thank you for sharing that as well because all of us as writers uh, we all have to go through that journey and for sometimes and I'm glad that editor actually had told you that, because a lot of times they won't say anything. Unfortunately, they don't. Absolutely. They don't give anything but a but a form letter, which to me is you're not even an editor if if, if you don't you, you can't even like put a few words down to tell somebody, listen, this isn't happening or what the style is just not going to fit here, and I don't really see it. You know that's great. Um, otherwise, uh, you you would have kept doing it because they're not telling you anything. So it's good. Uh, yeah, I know. It's good that you you I, saw I, I, that. Yeah, I, and, and I agree with you. I, I wish every editor would say, well, you know what? I really like your stuff, but it's not going to fit into the the uh, concept that we have for this journal. Um, or, yes, please send more because your what you write fits exactly. It can be negative or positive, hopefully more positive than negative. But I, I, I had a poem that... Um, published by another journal that I won't mention. It's a very, it's a good journal, but uh, I actually wrote to the editor and said, "You you accepted this one poem, and you said accepted it very quickly, and, and then everything else I've sent you for the last two years you've rejected, and um, they, they I just got back. Well, um, every everything." goes according to whatever, and they had a couple of other editors uh, that were um, guest editors, etc., and everybody has their own um, likes and thoughts, etc. And so I really didn't get much feedback, and I'll be honest, I never sent them another piece, because I figured, why? If, if, if I can't figure out what they're looking for. And one editor also tell me um, they publish four of my short fiction pieces, 
and which everything which I said, um, I, I can't figure out what you want me to say. And they said, well, we don't really know either. It just hits us when, when we see it. Um, and I, I stopped sending to them as well because I, I, I think that it's important for the journal to have a perspective of what they're looking for. Um, otherwise, it makes, makes uh, our job of submitting more difficult. It, um, and it, you're right, and it does. And one of the criticisms I have about a lot of journals is that by, by not being clearer on what they're looking for, or even the things that they're not looking for, you know, and put that in the guidelines as well. You know, to me, they're running away from the responsibility of everything. When you, when you have to give them, when you're given answers of some mystical variety, I don't know, it just hits us, man, so keep trying. It, it doesn't even sound like literary stuff anymore. It, it just sounds like you're throwing dice in a casino. What the hell is that? Exactly. You, that's, that's a per, they, you, you nailed it. That's a, you're throwing dice in a casino. Uh, with so many of the journals, and that's why I've I've just stricken them from my list of um, journals to submit. Um, yes, I, I've stricken things when I finally learn. Okay, well, this is really what they want, and I don't write it, so I stop submitting. But if you're just if you're just spitting in the wind and or throwing dice in the in, uh, in a casino, then it it gets to um, why am I why am I devoting time and energy to sending it to you? Yeah, you are you uh, and I, I I hate to keep going back to you, but you're you're there, so uh, you're stuck with it. Uh, <laughs> you you have a perspective, and you mentioned before you're not you're not a seasonal journal. No, you're not, but you you do publish a lot of my seasonal poetry, and I know you do. So I send you my seasonal poetry. Uh, it's a, it's a, a something that that I feel if I if I write something that I I think well I don't send out anything that I don't think is good, but um, if I write something that I think is is good that for your journal as well, and it is seasonal even though as you have said and I just said you're not a seasonal journal. Um, you, it's you. You do kind of tend to. Uh, you wouldn't publish for something about summer right now because it's fall, and I and I wouldn't send you a summer poem, even though I have a couple that I'm holding to send to you in the summer. Um, and I, I figured, why should I bother wasting your time just to say, oh, I love it, and uh, yes, I want to publish it, but not now. It's it's a summer poem. Am I making sense? You you are. I've I've made exceptions. I had somebody send me a fiction that wasn't in the season, and since I don't have a rule about that, as long as the fiction was was strong and relevant, I I still published it, and it really didn't matter for that particular situation. So, uh, yes, and I've noticed that a couple of a few times uh, because yes, I read your journal, um, but I also think that it, that from uh, an author's point of view. If I if I if I send you something that is so alien to the uh, the time frame that I think readers might not get uh, as good a sense of it. They they'll read it and get the sense of the piece, 
But if they have a context to put it in, I think that's a better choice. And that's why I tend to hold things. If I write something that I just don't think it's timely. I got you. And there's nothing wrong with that because I do agree with you that when a person does that, and if I accept something that just happens to fit, the, you know, the time that we're in, you know, it, it is going to give them a, a, a stronger emotional connection, you know? So I had to stop publishing pandemic poems because people were getting carried away a couple of years ago. But, you know, in the beginning, you know, when that was becoming a crisis, a couple of literary works along that line, you know, it, it definitely let people know that that's what everything uh, everybody was experiencing. You know, two years later, it's like I, I think I think we're kind of like all pandemic out on that. Uh, yeah, and there, there have been journals that have focused issues. For example, Poetry Quarterly had um, a, an issue, and I, I was lucky enough to have a piece in, in that uh, issue as well. Um, and they focused, because the whole issue was about the pandemic. Um, and I think that works much like you could uh, say, I want poems about the color red and where the whole journal is going to be about rare poems about red. Um, and, and, and assuming that somebody says, well, you know, red, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, that we don't want something like that. But if you come up with some inner understanding of the emotional context, context of the color red, um, then, then you're bringing something to it. Poetry has to have something beyond just the surface words. And but I think the, all the arts, uh, I'm correcting myself. I think all the arts have to have more than just the words. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, one of the things that I do when I when I'm uh, musically directing, uh, as I am right now, I'm doing the show. One of the, my first comments is, I believe the words, the thing. Um, if you don't tell the story with the songs, uh, um, then you're not really accomplishing anything. And I think that goes for all of our writing as well. If you don't have something, and it doesn't have to be some deep hidden meaning and you know, something that's super esoteric um, and philo or philosophical or something, but you can't just have words. Otherwise, you get violets are red, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. Wonderful. Who cares? It's that's the reason why I uh, prefer to write more from an emotional standpoint because, to me, not only is that a more honest way to connect to myself and therefore to connect to the audience, but also because that deeper connection usually means that something is going to come out that's going to be more artistic or that I can craft later on to be more artistic but for the journal's sake I, I i've always stayed away from themes and and mainly because what happens what happens is if you say you know hey my theme this month is you know things that are blue you're going to get ten thousand poems about blue and maybe four of them are going to be good and and i like to have more on each you know issue than just four poems you know because exactly that's the reason why i stay away from that because it it, it, it tends to be a, a greater rejection rate because Folks just get carried away, almost thinking that, oh, I have a formula now. Maybe I'm going to get published based on what he's just telling me. But, you know, there isn't any formula. 
I, I, I don't make no. I don't I don't criticize other magazines for doing the thematic issues. I got there's some that every single episode they do is is thematic, and that's fine. To me, I don't think it works well, and I I, I never really cared for it. Well, I'll go both ways. How's that? I, I do like some of the thematic um, journals, and and I like the non-thematic journals, um, if they're handled correctly. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. Um, I think the non-thematic gives us uh, greater, should we, to use a trite word, variety of, of things uh, like yours. Um, you you have such a, a wide range uh, of choices. Um, there are other journals where, uh, I'll give you an example, Founders Favorites um, are things that are she finds are favorites, and she actually dissects the line that struck her uh, all lines in a poem that struck her, and she ha has a column at the the beginning of the journal of, oh, I, this is why I chose this particular poem, because this line or lines or words or something truly struck me in a, in a visceral sense. Um, and uh, that's why she, and that literally, it's, those are favorites of hers. And she's very... Um, defined about that. She says, okay, well, this is what this journal is about. I'm choosing poetry that's submitted that are favorites. And I think that's a, that's a, a valid way of doing things as well. Um, so I think there are multiple ways, and we as writers, and uh, I'm speaking now to everybody who might be listening to this, uh, you have to find the journal that works for you You're and right. where you fit. You really do, and, and that usually requires not only some communication but just some basic research you'll know right away just from some guidelines that there's certain things that are not going to work well for you you know you got a magazine that talks about uh we only want the women's perspective well if you're a guy uh, that might be an issue that might not be the good place for you to go why waste your time exactly. in your own so there's some just through research that you can willow out and there's others you, you can put in, even if it's a bit of a gamble. I don't know. I think I could fit in here. This might be a stress, but let me give it a shot. There's nothing wrong with that. At least you're not purposely sending something that, you know, you know they're not going to be able to take or, or not willing to, to take. So research is really important. Over the course of time, yeah, I, you're going to find some places that are, are going to fit better than that. that. That's just normal. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's research. It's uh, trial and error sometimes. Um, unfortunately, uh, and you keep bringing up guidelines, and and you're you're a million percent right. Uh, I wish the, some of the guidelines were more accurate in what uh, the journal the editors are looking for. Uh, they a lot of times they'll say, "Well, read some of our um, previous issues to see what we publish," and, and that certainly is a valid way of doing it to a certain extent. But I've found that. The guidelines, if they're well written, and I'm sorry to say, an awful lot of them don't seem to be. Um, so I've ended up submitting where it was a waste of uh, everybody's time. Um, the editors as well, I, I take that into consideration. I don't want to waste an editor's time reading something of mine that it's not even close. Uh, so, um, yeah, it takes a lot of time, energy, research, 
and and stick to itiveness. I guess that comes from from my uh, my music and theater background. Um, and you have to have a skin of a, of a rhinoceros because uh, if you're going to be a performer, for example, um, and being there and and being on the other side of the table as a as a musical director and director and having to say thank you very much when somebody's pouring their heart and soul into a song uh, or a monologue or a scene for you. Um, it's the same thing I feel that editors uh, are doing. Um, if they're honest editors, I think sometimes that uh, I've experienced and that's why I stopped sending to their journals. Yeah, it, uh, it goes to the responsibility issue I talked about. We don't have a lot of editors in, in, in these publications that are willing to take responsibility. That's why they talk about all that mystical nonsense about, yeah, if it hits me. Or, or you'll notice that the, the guidelines are like, I don't know, four sentences long and three of the sentences are technical things. We only want word at 12 point and blah, 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 and don't email on this day and this. I mean, it's, it, it's almost like it's just directions to make their life easier, but it's nothing about how to make your life easier. Right. Exactly. And, 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 and if you make both sides easier in the end it serves everybody's purpose that's why we, uh, we try to have really extensive ones here because i really do believe that you know if you do have any kind of a direction or any kind of a purpose when you put that journal out there and for me it's it's a monthly one i do 12 months a year so it's a lot of work uh so therefore yeah. i gotta have guidelines i gotta have a responsibility i i I'm one of the few places that write people back when something doesn't work out. Uh, we always, I have other that is to help me as well. The policy is you write people back when you reject them. I, I don't, don't, you don't have to give them a dissertation well, on it, but yeah. say something that could be useful. Well, I think the other thing you've done with me uh, to make this personal in, in that sense is you've written me sometimes, for example, uh, a recent one, the, my marriage poem which thank you for publishing uh you 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 love the you said you love the poem but you didn't like the title uh and i think that in the in the end helped a lot because we ended up using the what had been the first line of the poem uh as the title and then caught it as a first line of the poem if, if you remember i didn't want to be redundant because that's one of the things that I, that I when I can't come up with a better title, I, I end up and use the first line, and I, it, that kind of annoys me, even though I do it. Um, but I don't want to go astray of what I'm trying to say and come up with just a title. But I think you you're very helpful in the sense that that you've done that a couple of times with with pieces of mine, and I ended up getting better titles thereby. Um, and um, um, there was one poem that I sent you. Uh, am I allowed to? to um, is this get edited out? If if you, I'm not, um, you liked the poem except for the for the last couple of words, and I stuck to my guns because I truly did like uh, the way it it what it said and how it said it, and it didn't suit what you wanted, uh, and I respected that because and do respect that. So I thank you for being honest. That's that's another another word. Um, you got to be honest, and um, 
yeah, not everyone's going to be yeah. able to meet terms, but the important thing is, and this is where it makes no sense to me, writing is a great deal about communication. So how the heck can you be an editor of a publication and you don't communicate to the, to the writers about anything? You just send them a form letter that was boilerplate language written like 10 years ago. You probably ripped it off the Internet. It's crazy. That, that's, not, that's not even writing. Uh, you're asking them to communicate, but you're not communicating. That, that, that's why I, I have a real problem with that. But it, it's a pet peeve of mine for, I don't know, for years, and it always will be, that I, I sometimes have issue with titles. And I'll, I'll tell somebody. I, I, I got somebody, I mean, it must have been like the 30th attempt already from somebody, and, and not just that person, but writers in general. They sent me a poem, Night. You know, I, I got actually, at that point, I was starting to get agitated. I actually wrote them back and said, listen, unless you're, Unless you're Ellie Weasel, I think he's already cornered Knight. Don't use that anymore, please. Too many people yeah. use that. You, like tree, nature. I mean, it makes no sense. If you're going to write a poem that's good, and that person's poem was good, and you're going to give it Knight, you, 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 can't, you can't come up with a more poetic title on a poem that's good. Right. You're going to hurt yourself. Most pet magazines won't even say it. They'll just send it back. You won't know why. Exactly. I'm gonna yeah, tell and people, and I tell people, listen, I will reconsider it if you give me a title that makes some friggin' sense. Yeah, and you've done it to me, and I thank you in the end. Uh, what is a marriage is a better title, a lot better title than marriage. Um, yeah, the poem is about marriage, but by and making it the the title the uh, the opening question because the ti the title uh, is being a question gives me more of an opportunity, which is what the, why it was the opening line of the original version to, um, I say version because we, we changed it to the title. Um, it gave, it gave the poem the rationale for, for being there because that's what it's about. What is a marriage? Uh, and obviously, uh, your help on that, ended up being a, a, a major contributory factor. But I'll go back to, to my other word. Um, you have to be honest. And it's a two-way street. The, the, the author has to be honest with the, with the editor. And um, when I disagreed with you and want to, wanted to keep those words, I had, I had to be honest with you and say, Mark, thank you very much, but I really do want to keep it the way it is. And no hard feelings. If I'm talking about as a writer, yeah. you can't have hard feelings. No. You, know, you have to say, okay, he was honest with me. He told me what, why he didn't want the, 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 uh, the, the piece uh, because uh, there was an issue, whether it be the title or whether it be something that words in the piece. Um, and you have to, have to be honest enough with yourself to accept, okay, do I do I feel that I I want to change it and accept uh, the editor's perspective, or do I want to hold fast and see um, and and submit it someplace else? And that's okay. It's it's a it's not a bad thing to to face rejection and say oh, don't let it defeat you. Because it's not a defeat. Well, it, it, it's it, just, it shouldn't be. It's a uh, yeah, I mean, we're still one of the few journals that will do that and still leave it open to be returned. I mean, I, I don't just tell people, you know, I hate the title and, you know, go somewhere else now and don't bother me anymore. 
Yeah, I leave it. I leave it open. I'm like, I'm open, but this title isn't going to work. And I think one of the problems with titles, not just because I think it's poetically important to to have something that sort of announces to the world what what you're trying to do with that work, but also because I see I see so much. I mean, on any given year, I probably read anywhere from three to four thousand poems. So when I tell you that I'm, I don't want to see night anymore, I'm not kidding you. I've probably seen it like 30 times already, you know. And if I right. if I publish it once, that's it. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to publish the same title, you know, with somebody else's work. So right. that's right. that's part of the reason. But the, the other part of the reason is because, and, and I'm I'm not saying that you need to write your title first. Uh, don't get me wrong. Lots of people, and it's common for most writers that the title is the last consideration when we're done with the work. And that's fine, too. But I think what happens is is that the writer is so exhausted and, and, and feels accomplished, and they just throw anything on the title. And that really help, that really hurts them and, in many ways, betrays all the work they've done. Well, I'm one of, the, I'm one of them. The title is the last thing I, I write. Um, because I, I think the title has to hopefully convey a sense of what the reader is going to get and what the reader can expect. Uh, if you write a, a poem um, called Night and you really don't give something else about the, about what night is, it's not just darkness. Uh, night can be, have multiple uh, levels, layers, uh, effects, emotional aspects to it. Um, so you, yeah, while it's it, it's a word and it, it immediately implies darkness, um, the problem is that um, yeah, you have to, your title has to say something about what you can expect, uh, and I and and you don't you don't um, you, unless unless you really are about writing something that. Is almost to spec. Um, okay, I'm going to write a poem about night, and then whether you use that as a title or not doesn't make any difference. It's like uh, overtures to uh, operas and and, and and shows are are almost consistently written after the piece because they they draw on uh, songs or themes out of the opera or or the the show. Um, and they're, they're kind of a compilation of those themes. And, and I think the title, maybe that's why I think titles are better written after the fact. I don't, I don't really know if there's a, a precedence that's better or not. It's going to really be up to the, you know, the creator themselves. But what I do know is that if it is the last thing, it should still have the same intensity it should still have the same talent quotient it should still have the same duration and time than the work itself if it's some five second thing it's not helping yeah no i'm not i'm not trying to imply that it's a five second thing afterward because sometimes i i i I spend more time trying to figure out what the title is than i did writing the poem (laughs) yeah and Uh, and that's great but i got a lot of writers that it's obvious that they, they just didn't give it much time yeah, yeah, well, then maybe they should uh, go back to the drawing board. <laughs> I don't want to sound that, – that was probably sarcastic. And no, I, and that's it. normally what I tell them about, hey, this is this is a good work, but this title is, is too generic. 
it's unpoetic, yeah. it's it's boring, it's bland, it's it just stays flat on the page. I, I've probably said a hundred times why I didn't like a title, and, and more yeah. times than not, people came back and fixed it, and it was wonderful. So if you give people the opportunity and they put the time into it, it it's going to come out great. Very few times that people just just simply never would never submit it again. Usually people take a chance to to do the right thing and it, and it works. Well, no, I, you know what? If they do that, then I think they're making their. Um, how do I want to phrase this? Not a, they're not making a mistake. Uh, that's the wrong phrase. Uh, they're they're not being. Uh, I don't know how to how to phrase that. Uh, I have to go back to you and 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 the way and you do. If they're truly honest with it and they, they take it the way you mean it, then uh, I think it's it's really helpful. So they're not really being introspective enough about what they have done to to say oh. They just take oh well he didn't like the, he didn't he didn't like the the title well then the heck with him uh, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, do battle with it or whatever no do battle with yourself why did why isn't the title right enough uh, enough for the piece and uh, that's a terrible grammar but it's what I mean if, if it just isn't right enough it has to be right. And sometimes we as writers don't always see as clearly as an editor can. Um, and again, we go back to the honesty factor in editors and uh, taking the time and, the, and putting in the effort that it takes to really Let's go back to in history, Max Perkins one of the greatest editors ever in the history uh, is that from Scribner's. Uh, that, I don't think that's just my opinion. He was, he was a great editor, and I think that's universally agreed. Uh, he w would work with, with uh, the, right, even the great greats, uh, Fitzgerald and Hemingway and, and, and various people, to make sure that the books were the best they could be. Um, and that's what I think is an editor's part of what an editor's responsibility is. I, I believe the same thing. I, I just wish so more people that. would practice that, but yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely, which again brings me back to why I've rarefied my list down to three online and three print journals to submit to. Um, have I cut myself off from other possibilities? Probably. But... Either I don't get accepted or I don't get feedback or I end up – there have even been times where I got a piece accepted and in the end I was sorry that I had submitted it because when I saw the rest of what was in the journal, I go, oh, I'm not too happy about having this in this piece. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're one of the few writers I know that, that, that do what you do in, in that regard. Most people uh, – you know, they just continue to send out, do some research willy-nilly, and you know, hope for the best. And that, and that's fine. That's generally what people should do. And there's nothing wrong with your particular tactic because if that works for you and you makes you comfortable, that's that's great. You know, it's it's I it, think it that, is pretty unique though. To, it is pretty unique. Uh, I think I go back to something that that I said earlier. You have to be honest with yourself as well. 
And you can't just say, oh, I wrote it, therefore I love it. Um, and I, I want it published no matter what. Um, it's got to it's get out to the right audience. Uh, if, and that's part of it, the audience. Who are you writing? Who, what audience is going to read your work? And if it's not going to get to the people that you want, then, yeah, you don't want to be preaching to the choir all the time. But you want people who are going to to be able to read your work and say, oh, yeah, I understand that or I, I like that. And, or you want to uh, reach an audience where you maybe want to convince them of something. Um, be honest with yourself. Well, I've been fortunate with Aerial Chart because uh, we've had people that respond. We get a lot of comments. And I, I really, I really appreciate that. So all those people that do that, some of them I know, and they read regularly and make comments. And others of those people who pass it on by anonymously, or well, anonymously in the sense that I don't know who they are, but you know they'll put their name down anyway. And I even got some writing groups that sometimes they they check out the magazine, and some of their members will have comments on it. It's something that helps them with their own writing and with the group discussion they have. They'll check out what Aero Chart is doing. So it's nice to have. You know, a few people that are watching over us. Uh, well, as a reader, as well as a, as a contributor, um, I thank you for all of what you do to to create that environment. Yeah, it's folks from all walks of life and all different writing styles and, and, and many different countries. I mean... It, uh, any given month, we probably have 30 to 40 different countries just checking in, what's seeing what's going on, reading stuff, reading stuff, whatever. So we get a lot of that. Sorry, Mark. No problem. Okay. Uh, if this were another uh, uh, more commercial situation, we'd say commercial break. <laughs> That's fine. It, uh, anything can be edited out on these shows, so no big deal. I appreciate it. Um uh, since you're editing, uh, yeah, it was called the used coffee department. <laughs> I hear you. Um, I remember a, a million years ago, I was uh, when I was very young, and uh, I went to one of Leonard Bernstein's Young People's concerts. Um, I went to all of them actually. That's a whole other story of my friendship with Lenny. Um, and he would stop periodically, and he would he would say to the audience. And he would kind of mouth it, but it was uh, because of the cameras weren't on anyway. Didn't make any difference. It's commercial, and it, it would be because uh, they would actually in those days have to leave time on the tape for the commercials to be put in. It was uh, not quite editing the same way we have now with uh, computers and, and digital things. Wow. Totally different. Totally different world and era. Um, I, I don't know. Should we get into a, a sides of of Streisand talking about when they filmed "Color Me Barbara" and they had uh, only a certain amount of time um, to do it, and one camera, and the, there were problems with it. So, all she has a whole interview about about the making of that television special. Going back a lot of years, but that 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 actually, I think I just recently read or heard um, because it's on the internet. So thank you for having the internet in the sense that that's a great television show and we have it. 
which brings us brings me back to the internet journals, I guess. And um, I think that they've opened a, a whole world for writers um, by be existing. Uh, if there were only print, it's it, uh, books and journals. Uh, a lot of stuff would never get get out there. So as an author, I'm truly grateful that there are. Um, uh, literary journals uh, on the internet. Yeah, I wanted to make uh, my own market in in that particular um, uh, arena of uh, internet uh, literary life. And um, I had done editing in other uh, magazines before, and I was just not um, not really happy the way they were put together. And um, oftentimes. Uh, you know, uh, no real communication with the with the writers, or uh, they're bringing their friends and family on board to to publish them, and that's the reason why they didn't have so many slots because they were bringing in everybody they knew. Or it just uh, to me, it, it it didn't sound like a, like an honest environment or anything literary. It sounded more just political, and I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to have something that was real about art. Again, well, that brings you back to the almost like the vanity press. Who are you? Who are you there for? Are you there to for your own grandizement, self-grandizement? Um, yeah, sure. When when things were published by authors because they knew that maybe the time didn't fit correctly, or this was so esoteric that. No publisher, so they put it out, and they and they maybe published a hundred copies of the book to give to friends. Uh, but then, and then you have the people who who again, I always keep going back to. I I wrote it, therefore I love it. Um, truly believe that their stuff is so wonderful, and, and they don't look at it. So you have these vanity presses um, and people who just say, oh well. A commercial publisher wouldn't publish it. I'll publish it myself, and uh, the world will recognize who, how great I truly am. Well, are you honest? As an editor, you you have said, and and you are. You're honest about advising the, to make the best piece possible. When you just do it yourself, or that, or only. Um, publish uh, you your and your friends uh, works then are you whose service are you are you um, accomplishing yeah yeah, yeah it, you're you're right it, it doesn't it doesn't really help because the, 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 the two the two things that hurt writing the most in, in modern life is either you know the introduction of, of politics or the, the, the over the head and over the top business stuff. So those are the two things: business and politics. They they ruin uh, good writing because the people um, they lose perspective on what they were trying to do and, and what they're trying to accomplish, and maybe who they're trying to speak to. Or maybe they, at that point they don't even care. Uh, which brings us back to you or know your audience. Um, and sure, if you want to write a political or a technical piece, then write for a political journal or a technical journal and say, okay, this is what I'm writing. But if you're trying to write something that's more universal, then it has to be more universal. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really that's, that's simple, but 
unfortunately, in the day we live in, uh, the simple uh, seems to be complex. <laughs> uh, where do we who, do, who do we put the blame on? Do we put, put it on the authors or do we put it on the, the world at large, whether it be the technological age or whatever? Nah, to me, to me uh, the, 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 there has to be an element of personal responsibility. So uh, the, the writers have to take some blame for this. Uh, you can't just blame technology because the technology is, is no different than a, than a knife. You can use it to cut your dinner or you can use it to cut your neighbor. So it's really about how you use it. It's not actually bad or, or good in, in itself. True. True. Uh, I mean, uh, I agree and on, on multiple levels. Um, as I said, having the online journals towards us oh, and I, when I, all of us, or not just you and I, another venue to be seen and heard. Yeah, and that's what we should be able to try to do here is allow places like what I'm doing to, to exist because it allows other voices to be out there. And, it, you know, it takes up from some of the other places. Too many of the journals that are out there, particularly the print ones, they have an academic affiliation to them. And that's not always helpful to writing because... You know the folks that are uh, conducting themselves in, in in that department, they they, they wind up being uh, stuck with something that sounds academic, or, or they become grammar Nazis, or or, or 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 they're just going on whatever the swing of the day is, and, and that's not always going to fit on some of the contributions they're getting. They wind up rejecting people for wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, and the academia um, has is a double-edged sword in that sense. You're absolutely right. Um, they, they can have a raison d'etre as well, uh, and that is probably antithetic to uh, being a true art in any form. When you become have a just a raison d'etre, you know, you, and some of them may almost have a, a, an easy fix kind of uh, approach to things. You know, if it, if it doesn't suit their agenda, then they reject it and again they don't tell you why so boy we have come full circle on so many issues haven't we we have i gotta take just one of those days for you and i <laughs> yeah i guess uh by the way i pronounced my name levine yeah i was wondering about that levine or levine i wasn't sure okay levine great uh, yeah yeah no just simple levine okay Thanks. Uh, appreciate it. not a problem Appreciate that. Uh, I figured this was a good place to mention it. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I don't get so I don't get to interview everybody that I publish, so I got some people with some names who I, I, I could never imagine how they even pronounce it. You know, I'm lucky I could spell it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I think this one's been around for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a more it's a more common one. I agree. Anyway, so you, where should we? Well, you were you were mentioning that um, you had a um, a real um, a musical aspect to you as well, which not everybody does in, in writing. Some people just that's all they're doing is writing. So, uh, what do you actually do? You uh, you you direct a, a a musical or a play that has music in it? That, you know, that's what you do. Uh, well, I, I have three lives. Um, one was a, 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 a classical music life, 
Um, I started out on, and as an oboist and specialized on the English horn and played with, uh, including some major symphonies. Um, and I still write a lot of classical music. Um, and I've had a theater life all over. These things have been Siamese twins or triplets, whatever you want to call them, throughout my entire life since I started working professionally as a musician when I was 15. Um, and I've been in the theater all my life. I've been um, in, um, done, I'm this, I've just gotten my first musical uh, show to um, musically direct. Uh, since I've moved to Maine, and I'm doing a production of Scrooge. I'm the musical director uh, at the Lyric Theater in South Portland in Maine. Um, and uh, I've done that all of my life. I've done um, Broadway shows, uh, and this is my 200th production that I'm doing. Um, I've done academia. Actually, I have, I'm a, um, I've got four lives because I've also been in academia. So, um, and I'm in, in doing that kind of on the side peripherally now um, because I just kind of stopped doing uh, teaching and ended up five years later saying, yeah, let me get back in the classroom a little. So I'm doing some substitute teaching just, just for the, to get back in the classroom. Um, but yeah, so I have a theater life, a, a literary life, a, a, a composing life, and an academic life. How's that for? Wow, that's a lot, yeah. Whew. That keeps you out of trouble, at least. Yeah, that's, uh, that it does, I'm sure. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I just, I'm in the process of orchestrating an, an my uh, latest uh, piece called, called Concerto for Winds and Brass for 23 different um, instruments. And I, um, I'm lucky to have another uh, number of uh, music publishers one of the modern sound music is mostly on the internet although they sell hard copies and you can get they do it they don't publish on the internet per se but they're out there on the internet i have 55 pieces with them for example wow. um i'll tell you a funny story um i called home uh and my late wife just uh, say hello to my late wife and she said I can't talk now I'm on the phone to Oslo I said Norway she said yes goodbye and, and they turned out it turned out yes it was a publisher in Norway who had actually called me and um, they took 13 of my percussion pieces for example so um, I've been doing I do a lot of that um, I, I keeps me out of out of uh, trouble and keeps me busy, and it's who and what I am. That's I think we have to go back to who and what we are um, as writers. We write, and I guess the the old adage, "Write what you know," um, is really in a way valid. Hey, don't don't try to be somebody you're not which goes back to an early question and a subject we talked about uh, a while ago. Uh, don't be, you be who you are, write what you, what you are and who you are, and be true to yourself and be true to the words you put on the page. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is that simple. Yet for many people, especially when they look around, 
and they, they admire this or, or, or they love that and they, they just believe that somehow if they can copy it in some kind of way and put their own spin on it this will be okay but the, the shortcuts are, 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 are glaringly obvious and in the end uh, art is not about shortcuts art is about the work yeah uh, to, I, I, I'm going to uh, pose a question uh, if you try to copy somebody else I don't care whether it's E.E. E. Cummings or, or Shakespeare um, can you really put your own spin on it or are you just copying well, a lot of people try. Uh, one of the big things that people try to copy these days are, are the beat poets. They'll they'll try to get some kind of beatnik spin to uh, work that you already know it's out there, and it it, it ho it's hollow. It doesn't ring tr true. Um, it's certainly inauthentic. In, in many ways, it's offensive to the people who have done this already uh, 40, 50 years ago. And and even if somehow they could pull that style off what audience is that supposed to be for because many of the people who are reading today they may not even know very much about that and if they do they might know it just from an academic sense they don't know it in in like how i can make it relevant to my life sense so you're not really accomplishing anything yeah well you just nailed several things we've talked about yeah alan ginsburg was alan ginsburg and he wrote at a time where it, it was true to himself, um, and people today, whether they've read Ginsburg or not, um, and I'm just using him as one of the big poets, um, when, they, when they read them, do they put it in, in an anhistoric context uh, and read it from, okay, that's what it is. So if, if they're writing it, sure, in academia, you can study the beat poets and the beat writers, uh, whether it be Ginsburg or Kerouac or whomever. Um, it's like, okay, do you read Edna St. Vincent Millay the same way you would read uh, Sylvia Plath, for example? Um, Millay, Millay, who's absolutely one of my favorite poets. Um, and I said a couple of her lyrics for art songs and poems as, as lyrics to, uh, to my art songs. Um, she brought an essence of her perception and her reality of the time. Um, and, and she came out of that roaring 20s jazz age world that she evolved out of. Um, but you have to put her, you have to understand her. Sure, something like Afternoon on the Hill is, is universal. But so many of our other pieces are of their time. And people, I guess, I keep coming back to being honest and true to what you're saying. Um, if you're just copying Allen Ginsberg, you're never going to pull it off, at least not in my opinion. He was him, and you are you. It, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes complete sense to me. But people, they keep trying to do this because, um, in in essence, if you're doing writing, it's no different than than digging a ditch or fixing the roof or or, or repairing a car. You got to know what you're doing, and it's work. There is no shortcuts to doing any of those things. You shortcut the roof, you're going to be living in some rain that night. 
you know, you shortcut the car, you're going to break down the side of the road. It's no different than, than, than writing. But one of the problems with people when they gravitate to writing is, is they don't really have a full understanding of the work that's involved. To get, to, 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 get, to get it done, to make a connection, to go try to get it published now, it, it's an enormous job. Yeah, but, but we bring, again, we're coming full circle. Uh, people don't do their homework. They don't do the research. They don't have the, they don't have the, the context of partially because they don't have a, today's um, immediate gratifi instant gratification um, uh, aspect to life, uh, whether it be the, watching a television program where it's it's just deteriorated to these minuscule, almost sound bites of scenes, uh, and because people's attention span is so short, it comes that way. They have they don't have the, they don't have the the big curve of living in the sense of okay, well I'm I can see. The historical aspect. How many times have you heard people say, "Oh, well, it was before my time, so I don't care about it." <laughs> you have to care about it. Um, I, I could go really be on my soapbox and say, we as artists and writers, whether it be writers, composers, painters, any, any art form, must have a, a humanities context. Uh, this is really one of my soapbox issues. Um, and it's not just from uh, an academia point of view. If you don't bring more to it than just the surface, then your your work is never going to have the, the fulfilling component that at least I hope that, that some of my pieces have. Whether I succeed or not is another issue. I probably don't succeed most of the time, but okay. That's such as uh, such as life in the artistic world, and we don't succeed, uh, and that's okay as long as we keep trying. And the next, maybe the next piece will succeed. Uh, you know, so many people, and there's, there's the famous stories about how Wagner uh, wrote all these terrible pieces, and then all of a sudden he wrote this one piece, which was the turning point, and he went from this terrible composer to one of the world's great composers. Um, and there, there, there are these turning points in, in our artistic life. And uh, sure, they, they, we, we label certain things juvenilia. Um, and that's okay because it's a process. The whole thing is a process, but then I, I think everything we, we're doing is a process from both sides of the table, yours as an editor, and, and you're on both sides because you're an editor and a writer. So you go through the process editorially, but we as, while we're writing, have to be editors of our, of our own work. Um, and say, I keep repeating myself, um, uh, not just because I wrote it, do I love it? Is it great? Do I think it's great? Uh, be honest. Yeah, it's 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 the hardest thing that, that that writers, when when they mature, and they become better, it's because they're learning 
to navigate inside themselves to understand, you know, what they should be writing about, what 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 best sticks to what that style might be, and, and what connection they're making to themselves. This is really the the, the better. I guess you could say the better steps on, on how you can become a, a, a better writer is to do those things. I mean, because you have folks here that they ask, well, how can I be a better writer? And if you read their stuff, it's obvious that you know, they don't really have that much of a connection with themselves. They're still becoming a, a, the manipulator of words or becoming a, you know, a master of the technical form or even a, a, an expert on grammar. But those things don't make you a writer. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, you have to, you have to, you have to be judgmental in the sense that, okay, is this really what I want to say? And know what you want to say. Don't, don't just put down words on a piece of paper because that's what so much of, um, I, don't know, I, 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 I don't want to use this phrase too uh, ridiculously because I've been there and, and there is this a lot of truth and stuff in the quote avant-garde but they just you, you read certain things and you go okay it's just a series of words uh, life hippopotamus uh, tr train car uh, roadway sky okay that's a bunch of words does it make a poem? Does it make a thought? Does it make, what does it make? It doesn't make anything in the end. It's just a, a, a collection of words on a piece of paper. Yeah, and that's, that's just not good. That's just not good enough. So uh, whenever I, I get things like that, I just try to uh, send back a message to that, to that writer. Something that's still positive, but reminding them that they need to dig deep down inside. They, they need to be able to say things that, haven't been said before or they need to be able to, to talk about things that they normally wouldn't talk about them themselves because if they, if they don't if they don't do that they, they're not really bringing anything new to the table no i hate to keep going back to them because it sounds like i'm this ultimate hemingway fan but uh, i've read hemingway of course and 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 i've read about him and, and things and he always said if he could write one true sentence he was happy um, I think that says it all. Yeah, it is because uh, you could write a, a, a three thousand word fiction piece, and, and you might feel that the only thing that, that that's relevant is maybe a couple sentences that you felt got the truth out and, and was strong, and all the rest of it was just technical filler. That happens. That's why. That's why he said, "Write drunk, and it's so." <laughs> yeah. I've I've read pieces like that before, so I, I know. And I even published pieces like that. If I still felt that overall it got across the mark that they wanted to do, regardless if you know it only had a couple really strong points to it, and the rest of it was just ho hum, I'm still okay with that because it still needs to be able to connect with you, and it still needs to be able to you still need to think about it. If you're still thinking about something you read a few hours later, no matter how good you thought it was or bad you thought it was. If it stays with you, it, it, it has it has relevancy. Then it has the legs. It it walks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's really that's really one of my final words on uh, on on the show about that is that 
you can't put together anything creatively, whether it be music or, or writing or art or whatever, that's just staying on the page. It has to be able to have movement. It has to walk. It has to be able to, to talk. It has to say something. It doesn't have to be shocking. It don't have to be even brilliant or original. But it has to say something that grabs that person's attention. That's really what your job is. And if you don't do that, you, you, you haven't committed to being a writer, at least in that instance. Well, it has to have a life of its own. As much as you can do it, but yes, it, it really it really does. And sometimes the best pieces of work are works that, that have that, that, that will stay with you for a while, that um, you remember that even after the first reading, you're like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen that before. That, that's that's how you know that you know that they're they're digging and and that they're trying to say something that normally wouldn't have been said or maybe something they normally don't don't say and now writing is the only time for them to really be be honest because sometimes with the best writers you know they they live lives that are complex and maybe not even honest in themselves but when it comes to writing that's when they are honest and maybe this is the time for them to do uh, that yeah Sometimes you read things and you say, well, is this piece um, the author's alter ego? Yeah, it is that way sometimes. I remember somebody meeting me in person, and they're like, Mark, you're a lot like your, your show, and you're a lot like your writing. I go, I know, I'm not, I'm not trying to live different lives. I'm just, I'm just me, and that's that. But I know other people that that's what they do. They're a different persona when they're, when they're a husband, and, and when they're a father, and when they're at work, and then when they're, when they're being creative. They're like four different people. <laughs> How they juggle all that, I don't know, but I know that's a common thing. I think I, I think it's unfortunately um, maybe too common. Uh, also, too difficult for me to be able to do. Yeah, I am who I am. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't I, like it, and I, I, I think it, I think it spurs on more depression than people realize. Probably. You know, you, you got you got people that they. Uh, they come out of, the, of a marriage and they're in their 50s and they're like, Mark, I don't even know who the hell I am. I'm like, well, who, who have you been the last 30 years with her? Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, they can't even answer some of the basic questions. You, you, you wonder what they've been doing all that time. Uh, good point. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, rough or mean here, but, you know, uh, what you might have been doing all that time is, is saying too many yeses and not enough no's. <laughs> that's a possibility. You're right. Um, and, and I think that's just part of, of the world. Uh, maybe not to, only today, but definitely today, that people don't know who they are when they go into anything, whether it be a marriage or writing or uh, looking for a job. They have to know. You have to know who you are. Um, and then bring bring that to the table. That's that's the reason for me anyway. I, I I don't I don't profess this as some magical formula for other people, but I am uh, one of those people that got married much later in my life for the first time, and and had children much later in my life. And you know I'm I'm grateful and blessed for it, but I avoided all those things that a lot of other people. I mean most of the people I know on both sides of my family, and most of my friends, even my military friends. I mean, Bruce, they're, they're on the second or third marriage. I'm still on my first one, you know. So I avoid a lot. Of, I avoid a lot. Of, yeah, I avoid a lot of that immaturity and all that silliness. I avoid all that because by the time I got married, I was more than ready to do it. 
Uh, certainly a valid point, and, and the same thing with writers. Uh, it's good to, to do the ju juvenilia, but you have to grow out of it. Well, that's why drafts are so important. I, I emphasize that people a, a lot, uh, not because I'm, I'm creatively fixated on it, even though I am personally, but um, I just think that it helps a writer grow more when they can continue to rework a piece for a while, even if it takes a while, because they'll notice that not only are they improving the language of the piece, but they're also improving some of its content because they remember later on a fact they should throw in there or maybe an emotion they didn't think about before. And it just makes it that much more relevant and that much more emotionally intense. That's why drafts are important. And when an editor like myself, you get something, and sometimes you get to tell, they never even got past the first draft. What am I reading this crap for? Yeah, well, that's, that brings us back to honesty. Um, and whether it be drafts or just revisions, um, you, you got to read it. You got to be honest. Okay, is this said the best way? I use the, the example I used earlier. Um, I find that if I see where I've been repetitive, that's a red flag immediately. It's like a bell going off. Oh, I said the word river in that in that line, and now I'm using the word river again. Do I really want it to be repetitive? Uh, I wrote a poem one time in which uh, the last line of each stanza was the same line. Um, and the editor wrote a comment back, and he said that he found, he found, he, ah, he, he found that in general, that technique doesn't work. And I'm proud to say that he said, but in this case it did, and it gave the uh, gave the poem a cohesiveness. So you know, you've got to be very critical and self-critical, and, and say, okay, is this really working? I just finished a poem that you published, um, and I changed I changed one word in 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 a in a line because I had used the same word earlier. Uh, and and I, I share this uh, with, with Jane, and she looks at it and, and, and goes, yeah, and, and I say, which one do you like better? Which one says it better? And it's not just a matter of liking, because I can trust her um, to say, no, this one, you're right, this is better. Um, and, and you need to be able to do that. You have to be, again, I keep using the same word, honest. Um, and and true to what you you're doing. Sometimes I don't understand the criticisms of other editors. It's I don't know. I want them to respond and I want them to help instruct people. But sometimes they they, they say the most asinine things. I mean, uh, on that particular editor you're talking about, this this is a guy that probably would have rejected the Raven, considered to be one of the most important poems ever written in in, in yeah, mankind. Yeah. You know. And, and there's a whole lot of repeating in the Raven too. I, I don't hear anybody complaining about uh, that. Yeah, that's the Raven. Nevermore yeah. comes up how many times uh, in that one? I don't know, Seventeen, eighteen uh, times. But it's yeah, it's okay. Exactly. It's okay to repeat as long as what you're repeating remains relevant throughout the poem. That's all. That's a simple rule. But it becomes, but it becomes punctuation, and, and, and it's like putting a, an exclamation point at the at at the right place as opposed to a period 
um, so that that it it, it gives you a, 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 a an emotional structure, so to speak. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it's fine. But you know, the problem is, and you said it earlier, um, so many of the editors are lazy and either they don't want to um, truly react, here I go, honesty again, um, truly react to what they're reading and seeing. They want to take the shortcuts, as you pointed out. They wanted, they wanted to say, oh, okay. Or they have some preconceived notion for that issue or that month's journal or whatever it be. Um, albeit a sense of, of not necessarily urgency to, to, to their, to their um, concept, but a sense of, okay, well, I've decided that this is what it's going to be, so the heck with it. And it's just a matter of laziness rather than uh, really looking beyond that individual moment. That's why, that's why I keep up the journal and that's why I keep up the show because certain things, uh, they still need to be repeated, that we need to put the work in, that... Uh, there is no real secret to writing other than stop lying to yourself and, and be committed to rewriting because that's really what writing is in the end. It's rewriting. And as long as you're willing to do that, exactly. you're going to have good work. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're willing to just simply say, you know, I, I, I think this draft's okay. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, and, yeah. it's never a good thing. I mean, it, your chances are going to be a lot slimmer. And then, God forbid, if someone does pick it up and you read it one day and you go, wow, I could have done this, I could have done that. It's, it's, again, you hurt yourself and you hurt writing in, in journal when, when you do that. It's just about being honest with yourself and it's about continuing to put the work in that's necessary. There, there is no arbitrary rule about how long it takes to write a poem or, or when you think that poem is ready to go because that is not only a subjective thing, it's, it's also something that when you've learned to be honest with yourself, you're going to know. It's not like uh, I, this one will take two weeks and the next one will be only two days. You might have that situation happen, depending on, you know, if you wrote from notes or if you wrote from this uh, a muse that really struck you in that particular time. But more times than not, you're, you're, you're writing from scratch, which means that it, it's going to take a lot. Well, I have about 12 anecdotes that I could throw in here based on things you just said, but I'm going to synopsize it with the song from Sondheim's show, Sunday in the Park, Sunday in the Park with George, where the song says, art isn't easy. <laughs> no, no. And he actually used that title for an anthology of, of, his, of his writings, one of the two books. Uh, that he, he put together, uh, it isn't. I mean, yeah, uh, Trollope had um, a, a time that he wrote every morning, and he, he had said, I'm just gonna, and he had it down to a science. Um, he was, but he was Anthony Trollope, he could do that. And um, he said, I write so many words per, per what? so many pages per because he would say in this time he put a put a watch on the table and he would write and he said okay if i finished a book um before my my time was up i'd start the next book well he could do that 
Um, a friend of mine, uh, David Amram, the composer, you, um, you know, one of the great contemporary composers, once wrote, um, and I uh, were corresponding because I was this was I was young, and I said, David, I, I I really can't get this going, and he said, Well, sit down and write one measure, even if it takes you the whole day, but you'll have the one measure, um, and nobody's sitting with a stopwatch to uh, judging how long it takes you to write a piece. Again, Hemingway said, if I can write one true sentence, um, I could go on with the, with the anecdotes of the greats. And we, I learned from these people and said, okay, nobody's, nobody's sitting with the stopwatch. So if it takes me 20 minutes or, or 20 hours or 20 days or, or some people who took a look at it, Beethoven took years to write a symphony, but look at what the symphony came out. Whereas uh, Mozart could write a symphony um, in, in, in a morning. Um, and that's not to say one is better than the other, because Mozart and Beethoven certainly are two of the greatest composers ever in the history of the world. And yet they were, they were at such diametrically opposed um, uh, practices of creation. You know, Beethoven struggled in his sketchbooks and all that. And Mozart wrote it and it was almost like a, a camera-ready copy. Uh, we as authors can learn from that and say, okay, doesn't matter how long it takes. Get it to be um, one true sentence or one true poem or just something that makes, that's honest. And, and is out there saying what we wanted to say. All right. Thank you very much, Bruce. And you heard it, folks. It really comes down to learning to be honest with yourself and willing to put the work in. It's just that simple. I know it might sound like some cliche out of a Hallmark card, but guess what? Even some cliches have a gigantic amount of truth in them. That's usually why they're cliches, because they tend to have a, a real truth that rings out and, you can repeat it, you know, this year, next year, two, ten decades from now, and it's still going to have relevancy. Those things are really important. You could say in many ways that whatever you do in your walk of life, you should be true to yourself about, but that's not always the case. I mean, you could be a, a garbage man. How the hell are you true to yourself about throwing out garbage and picking up people's garbage and driving the truck around? As long as you just do the job correctly, that's all you have to do. It's not the same. But... In anything that's creative, it, it is it is essential because that's the only way, I feel anyway, the only way that a creative person can excavate their personality, which is unique in itself, so that the work itself becomes something unique. It becomes something that wasn't there before. It becomes something that maybe people didn't hear in that sort of manner with that sort of twist or even with that sort of you know, a, a viewpoint or, or, or a personal spin to it. That's the reason why it's it's so necessary, because if you don't do that, you're going to wind up writing things that are generic. You're going to wind up writing things that are safe. You're going to wind up writing things that are, you know, structurally sound and grammatically correct, but they have no soul. And a lot of what we need to do, yeah, yeah, a lot of what we need to do as, as creative people is we need to be able to bring something of our soul in there. Maybe not all of it, maybe until we maybe still learn more about ourselves, and that's fine, but we need to be able to take a piece of that soul and put it in there. Yeah, you said the key words, 
put a piece of your soul in there. You really, you really have to. That's really what Hemingway was talking about. If I could just write that one true line, that's what he's talking about. If I can get through all the emotional morass that's in my skull, and if I can get through all the, the troubles in my heart, and I can get through all the aches and pains in my body, and I can still grab something in my soul and put it in there, I've accomplished something. That's really what he's trying to say. Just he did it in a more poetic fashion. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I'm I'm grateful that uh, we have um, not only his writing but things that like that to help us uh, as writers ourselves. Yeah, because many of these writers that we're talking about, they've had a lot of issues in their life. Uh, some of them, Hemingway in particular. He dealt with mental illness his entire life, and, and I talked about this on the show a couple of times, and all the things that that man tried to do. Most people back then when they had mental illness, they didn't even make all the attempts he made. He used every modern, every psychedelic, everything he could possibly think of, technique, to try to overcome in depression, and unfortunately he failed in the end and, and wound up committing suicide. But Because he, he gave up at that point. But he did try all that he could try that he felt you know, before he, he made that, that, that fatal decision. So you, you got people that when they're telling you about things that you should be looking for and things that they're trying to do, I mean, they're not just talking creatively. Oftentimes they're talking about their personal struggles and their personal demons and how in many instances those things work hand in hand with their creativity. To the positive and negative. Yeah, yeah, to, to both, unfortunately. You know, and it's just not to say that everybody who's creative out there has depression or everybody's out there struggling with horrible things because that's not the case. I know plenty of writers that don't have any of these issues, don't even drink and, don't even drink and smoke. So it's not like those things are necessary. But you find that they're more prevalent in the creative crowd than they are in most other places. I think it's like 40 to 45 percent of people you deal with uh, who on a creative basis having, uh, have some kind of either public or, or private depression that they're dealing with? Um, I didn't. I don't know the statistics, but I wouldn't be surprised you're correct. Well, I read a study on it, and that's, that's what, that was what they guesstimated it was. You know? Right. The study before that was in the 20 range, but apparently uh, as they had more studies, they increased it because they counted on certain things that they didn't count before. And plus they think that there are certain things that we do in the modern life now uh, incredibly enough, cell phones and computers and stuff like that, in many ways, instead of becoming communication devices, become isolation devices and main to, ah, wind, up, wind up cornering people more in their depression than helping them. Exactly, and I think that's the whole of the show. Yeah, it, it is, and I'm going to have a show about that because to call something a social media, that's okay. That's actually an accurate term, but keep in mind socializing with your friend at the coffee clutch at the Methodist Church, that's not the same as talking to somebody in India on Facebook. Social media is not social interaction. It's just simply social media. There's a real exactly. there's a real biological, even spiritual benefit from talking to somebody, even if you're all conventional about this and that, versus on, on, on the Internet or on a cell phone. Where it, it's it's very mechanical, it, it, it it's very hollow, and it might it might not even be very honest because you feel and you can take liberties, you, you, you know. It, and you said it, it's isolating because people just sit there and look at their computer screen rather than interacting. Right, the interaction with other people is just as important 
and and it in itself is a healthy way to uh, learn more about the world, to learn even something about yourself when you hear what somebody else has to say about what they're doing in their life. And that kind of human contact allows us to continue to maintain our humanity. And some studies believe that people who are more and more connected to the phones and to the Internet, and that becomes their primary way of interacting, they are actually degrading their humanity because they don't really do anything that's activating it. They're just spouting words, which is not the same thing as, you know, talking with somebody. Believe it or not, talking is not the exchanging of words. It's the exchanging of communication because you're in that person's physical presence. You're watching them react in their body. You're looking at their face and their eyes. You're hearing things that they're, they're coming off the, the cuff that you wouldn't have heard on, on the Internet, which is more practice and is more rehearsed. I, I totally agree. It's a, a genuine experience helps us stay more human. And uh, people, uh, unfortunately, in the, in the modern life we have, they, they've lost some of that because they don't want to do that. I mean, I'm, I remember growing up in New Jersey, and as rough as it can be, the neighbors still talk to the neighbors. I, I live here in, in, on a golf course in um, coastal Georgia, uh, ironically, and uh, just a few minutes from Florida. And I, I, I got neighbors. I don't even want to call them neighbors. I just want to call them nearbys because that's about all they are. They don't want to wave. They don't want to say hello. They don't want to talk. They don't want to do anything other than just live their life, and they can care less. And then they wonder why. And they wonder why the world is complicated and difficult and, and dark at times. Well, it's not like you're coming out and doing anything, you know. I, well, it brings us right. It brings us right back to what we've been saying right through the whole show. Um, there, there's a humanistic approach and an honesty and a truth to to the writing. Um, that I think people um, in, in their interaction with other people don't have, have lost. Yeah, and that, that interaction is, is I, I feel, um, dangerous to a person's uh, maturity as a human being because if they don't grow enough as a human, then they don't really act right with other people or in relationships, and they wonder why those relationships fail and why they, you know, I know people who have been divorced two, three, four times. You know, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not really trying to judge them, and I'm not certainly mocking them, but it's an honest question to say. I don't know. After the third marriage, did you not learn anything? Because I don't get it. I, I really don't. And I don't I don't mean that facetiously. I'm honest. I'm like, didn't you learn anything? To maybe improve on the next yeah, time. Well, you know. Hopefully they do. I've known people uh, that. They, they try, you know, first you don't succeed, try, try again, and they've actually accomplished it. And then in the end, find the, the right person yeah. and live happily ever after. And that's fine. And I'm, I'm not against divorce, and I'm not against that sometimes it just doesn't work and you, you want to still be able to be happy with the rest of the life you have. I got that. But, you know, when people are, are getting, you know, married three and four times, it's obvious they're not learning anything because whatever problems they bring into it, they still have. Yep. Absolutely. So. All right, Bruce. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time we had here, Bruce. And thank you. I'm going to close this show here with that note. I'm hoping folks have learned something with this exchange. That it's so important to be honest with yourself, to continue to to write, to ask other people's opinions. You remember, you don't have to ask another writer's opinion about your work. You could share it with somebody else and see what they think, see how they react to it. You'd be surprised at how many people who are not writers 
will kind of give you a, a, a real candid impression about, you know, where you're going with that or not. And you can take that information and you can use that. But we can't, and my final note for the show is we can't be the instructors of humanity if we don't really understand our own humanity. So let's try to make sure that we're consistent about that. We don't want to walk around being rhyming hypocrites, okay? We, we, we need to be something more than that. And, and writers in the old days, as well as those that are relevant today, add, add more to humanity because they have discovered certain things about themselves and about the world that they now can share. So let's try to keep that in mind because you could become one of those people as well. And we can all learn from you just as much as you might be able to learn from us. All right, folks, that's uh, Bruce Levine. Thank you very much, Bruce, for being on the show, for contributing. For My all pleasure. I just, want to, I just want to say you said a, a key word, and that is share. Yeah, it's not a whole lot of that these days. But I, I can tell you now, the folks, and you, you'll, you'll find this to be true, and you'll, you'll laugh to yourself when you walk away. But the folks that are critical of the world, you're going to find that they're not doing a lot of these things. They're not sharing. They're not contacting. They're not communicating. All they're doing is walking around complaining. you got to do more than that. And oftentimes, if you want to complain about something, it usually means that you now have to become the leader to try to fix that because you can't expect that somebody else is going to somehow walk in there. You know, that's that's yeah. one of the, that's one of the things that that uh, we learned in the Bible with some of the, the some of the major characters. They were like, "Man, can I just have somebody else do this?" But no, they had to carry that burden. Uh, I remember Martin Luther King talking about it in his private journals. I know what has to get done. I just wish somebody else would do it. <laughs> I can't blame him because he knew how, how dangerous or how much how much work was involved and, and in the end how much it would cost his, him his life, and it did. But he, he was brave enough to finally carry that through. So we as writers have to learn to do the same because nobody else is going to do what we're trying to do. If we're not willing to do it, it, it could pretty much die with us. All right, folks, until next time, this is Episode 250, Bruce Levine, our interview. Uh, a longer one than usual, but I'm really happy about that because uh, we got a lot out and we're able to talk about a great deal that could be useful for writers and maybe even for people in general. All right, folks, good night and God bless. Take care, Bruce. Thank you very much again. And thank you, Mark. Have a great day and have a, and I hope this uh, is a good thing for a lot of people and listening. You got it. You take care. Hopefully we talk again in... Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.